This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Okay, marriage counseling, the physical aspect, maintaining God's covenant. And again, I want to start off again with just telling us what the definition of marriage is, because I think it's, it's always good. To say this again, because even though you know you are married, and some people are like, "I'm already in it," you still need to know what God's definition of marriage is, because it's time to correct some things. If you didn't, so marriage again from the top, marriage is a divine institution created by God, whereby two rational, free moral agents who are born again choose to enter a lifelong commitment with an imperfect person. This means if God created, it's not, only, it's, it's not only just a divine institution, but there's a divine purpose. Okay, and then it says, for those who are born again. So you just can't say, I know who God is. If you're born again, you have to say, I know Jesus. I know his standards. I know his standard for the marriage. Then, listen, then after knowing his standard, you can make the choice to enter into the covenant with an imperfect person. Because marriage is made up of these people already. It's not, I want to get married and now we can become these people. No, marriage is made up of these people. Okay, so you have to know Jesus first and foremost. Okay? And again, like I said, I love how Minister Martin started all this marital co- uh, marriage class and pre- uh, marital class with uh, covenant. Because covenant, covenant is God's language. He is Jehovah, the covenant God. That's how God operates. It's his, it's his fundamental tool to deal with man. Covenant relationships. That's how God operates. He orders everything by covenant. Without a covenant, there's no agreement. There's no commitment. There's no faithfulness. So, for God, covenant is most binding. Covenant is serious. Marriage is one of the covenants of God. He takes it seriously. It's very serious. And again, this is why covenant is the vehicle by which man and woman are to establish the lifelong faithful relationship of marriage. And in that faithful relationship of marriage, that's where physical, physical relationship relations have their place. That's where sex has its place in marriage. That's God's covenant. And again, God dealing with, with us by covenant in all of his covenants, he's just telling you that I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you all the days of your life. This is why marriage falls into one of those covenants, because it requires a lifetime commitment. And that's why God deals with covenant. This is why the Bible says, Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because covenant comes with commitment. If there's no covenant, there's no commitment involved with your actions. Uh, you know, like the people who have sex outside of marriage, or, you know, the Bible says it's not good to touch a woman. You touch a woman, but the thing about it is there's no commitment involved with it. There's no covenant. I haven't promised anything to you. Covenant brings that. Love your wives. And then... So, you know, it's, it's time to look and see how God views covenant. And, and I do want to go in, and if you can, pre-mark your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7, because that is going to be our foundational text. But I have to, God told me. And, and I, I know we hear about covenant all the time in this ministry, but he said it's time to hear it again. We heard it from Minister Martin, but it is paramount that your mind is set on God's covenant. You have to always be mindful of God's covenant for any of these aspects to be, to be working properly in your life. For your financial aspect. For your physical aspect. You have to be mindful of God's covenant. So we're going to look at what, what God has to say about covenant first. Before we move into the actual applying this to your home. Let's see what he says about, about covenant. 
So we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. And I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 14. And I'm not going to go through this all like, I've, like we've done before in this ministry, but I am going to give you a brief overview. So the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant, if you look at it, and God ministered it to me so differently this time. That's why I love just, just going back to it. He said, since we're looking at this from the marriage point of view, he said, I want you to look at it like this. If you look in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, Genesis chapter 14, God makes a promise to Abraham. And he tells, I want you to get thee out of thy land, away from thy country, and to a place where I'm going to take you. A place where I'm going to show you. And each time God would appear to Abraham, Abraham would believe in faith and obey God. Now, and, and, and I'm going to tell you this, he did all this before he actually cut the covenant with Abraham. And God said, well, let me tell you about marriage. That, that's your courting process right there. See, God had courted Abraham to a, and we're not talking about premarital, but I need to get you to a place, because God develops this mind around covenant in Abraham before things took place. So all through Genesis, you can look through, like I said, 12, 13, 14, he would tell, he would tell Abraham, this is what I'm doing for you, and I want you to do this, and Abraham said, I believe it, and I'm going to walk. I'm going to do what you said. And so where we're going to pick up now is at the end of Genesis 14, and I want to tell you what happened here in Genesis 14. Abraham's uh, nephew Lot had got taken captive. All his things had got taken away from him. And, and uh, Abram came to get his, his nephew back. And he did. He, free, he, helped the kings, he helped the king of Sodom. He came and helped and, and took everything back. So we're going to pick up from verse. And mind you, this is all before the covenant was cut. But he's believing in God. He has faith in God. So here we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 14. And I am going to start at verse, let us start, oh, that's 13, sorry. Let us start at verse 20. And it says, And blessed be the Most High God, which have delivered mine enemies into thy hand. And he gave them tithes of all. And this is where I really wanted to get. I wanted to read you guys about the king of Sodom. Verse 21. And the king of Sodom, and again, remember, this is after he didn't, he didn't came and he got a, his, his nephew Lot back. He didn't help the kings out. He didn't got their riches back, the lands. So here's the king of Sodom. And uh, Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said, said to the, kingdom, the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a from a thread, even a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young man have eaten, and the portion of the man which went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Memra, let them take their portion. Now, see, see, I love this here. And you know, you know what, let me keep going, because we're going to come back to what he just told the king of Sodom. But let's, let's look what it says here in verse 15. It's amazing to me, right, because he, he got, I have to stop. He got tested by the king of Sodom. Like I said, that's their courting phase. God was courting them. And all of a sudden, here's, here's the king of Sodom. But hey, you can come over here with me, because I'll give you a reward. I'll do this for you. And then look at Abraham's faithfulness. Because remember, you have to build your faith before you get into this covenant. You have to be mindful of God's covenant before you get into this covenant, right? So let's see. Let's see what happens here. Because he offered this to Abraham. Abraham said, I'm not taking anything from you. I cannot cheat on my God. He's the only one that's done for me. And then let's see what happens in, in chapter 15, verse 1. Now, at chapter 15, verse 1, I'm just going to tell you. God appears to Abraham. Okay? And the first thing he says is, he says, After these things the word of the Lord came into Abram and the vision saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. <laughs> he said, I'll be your protector. 
I'll be your, I'm your prize. I'm your defense. I'm your benefit. See, when you stay faithful, and he, he likened it to the, he likened it to the marriage covenant. He said, if, if beforehand, if you build up your faithfulness, if you build up your faithfulness in God and to maintain my covenant, then guess what? That spouse at that point, now here comes God proposing. Hey, I'm your, I'm your, I'm your reward. I'm your shield. But then I want you, I want to continue reading here. He says, right here, and I want you to remember as well, Abram refused the reward from Sodom. Because guess what? God has, God has built up his faith. Remember we said it? There's no faith in Sodom and what he could do. God has built up his faith. This is covenant. You have to have faith for covenant. God has built up his faith. Now let's look at verse 2. Um, yes. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless, and steward of my house as the Eliezer of Damascus? Now I want you to tell, I want to tell you what, what Abraham is saying here. Because like I said, it was like God was proposing to him. Well, God, Abraham said, well look, God, as you see, I'm ready to move forward with you. Because I believe in you. I, I, I'm faithful to you. I'm ready to, I'm ready to move forward. So what are you gonna, what, what are we gonna do? What are you gonna give me? And God's like, listen, I know what you want. And I got it for you. But, and, and because you've been faithful, I want you to see what you're, God's gonna cut it. Right now, God's like, it's time. I propose to you, I'm gonna cut covenant with you. And it's, a, and let's read it. Let's go ahead and read it. Let's see. And behold, oh, I'm sorry. And verse 3, and Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. See, he's already thinking about what God is. It's not because I want a child, I want a child. It's because, listen, I'm ready to be, I'm ready to be beneficial to God. So I need my seed so that I can pass on what God has given me to my seed so I can be beneficial in this earth. It's not about me having what I want. It's about what God wants. See, that's the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant is about, it's not about me. It's not about, it's not about you. It's about each other. And God knows what he wants. So God said, listen, you have proven yourself faithful. And we're going to read here, verse 5. And he brought, I'm sorry, verse 4, yeah. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars that thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. From that point on, Abraham was sold out. Abraham was sold out. And God knew it. He believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He was sold out. So God, at this point, God said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to enter into covenant with this man. I'm willing. Uh, the courting stage is done. They've proven faithfulness. To who? To God. I'm going into covenant with this person. So let's look here. I want to skip down to, let's see. No, let's start at verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He said, you propose to me all these things, Lord. You said you're going to give me these things. How will I know that I'm going to inherit it? And it's not that he didn't believe God, but in his day, they cut covenant. And God knew it. He said, you proposed to me, so now comes the ceremony, right? And he knew it. And God said, you know what? I am going to cut covenant with you. But here's the thing, because we're going to read it here. Covenant, though that they, they had the covenant of their, day, of their day, God is the creator of covenant. So God said, I'm going to do covenant according to your day, but, but, but trust me, I'm going to confirm it. It's going to be something different. You, you know, you can, you can do things according to your day, but, and, and that's the same thing for your marriage. You can go ahead and have your ceremony, but you better make sure God confirms it. You better make sure it's 
his covenant. Okay, because if you're outside of his covenant, you, hey, he, he said he's your, your shield, your protection. But if you're outside of his covenant, he can't be any of those things to you. So you better make sure it's his covenant. So let's look at verse 9 here. And it says here, um, yes. And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took the, unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. Now, you might want to ask, why, why is he getting all these things? Because God, Abram, Abram knew at this point, he said, God said to get these, we're, we're cutting covenant, because this is the covenant of his day. He said, okay, we're cutting covenant. God, this is the ceremony. This is it right here. And then it says, verse 10, And he took all, all unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against each other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcass, carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, here we go. <clears throat> verse 12. It says that Abram, it said, and the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now, I'm going to read 13 through 21, and that's all I'm going to read on the covenant, but we're going we're gonna to see what he says here, and then we're going to move forward. Verse 13, it says, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, now again, they're talking about the pieces of the animals that he divided up. And in the covenant of their day, what they would do is they divide these up, and the two parties will walk between those pieces, confirming the covenant. Now, here we are. And now we have God. Here it is in verse 17. It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, here's the thing. We already saw in verse 12, Abram sleep. So, so who is passing between those furnaces? It's God. God's passing between those furnaces. And it's amazing because he told Abram he's willing to cut covenant with them, but Abram was asleep. Abram didn't do not one thing. The covenant that he made right here is between himself and his son. Because he was bringing his son as a gift. And Abraham could do nothing but accept the gift and covenant. So, therefore, this covenant, this covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. Well, we said before, what is covenant? These two parties, parties have to bring all that they have. Well, God gave his son all that he had. The son gave his life all that he had. And we just laid there and received it. Received the salvation. See, covenant is serious. Uh, covenant, you know, talking about, you know, pastor was talking about the tithe and how it could be a curse. Covenant, another definition for it is putting a curse on yourself. So God put a curse on himself because he knew that we couldn't handle that curse. He said, I'm going to have this with my son because, because I'm coming after you. See, that's what covenant is about. It's about you. So I'm going to do all I can to come after you. And I want you to receive all that I have. It's serious. That's why it says, it says in Matthew 19, Wherefore there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, what God has confirmed, when he walks through those two pieces of flesh and makes them one, let no man put asunder. 
He wouldn't even let Abram put it asunder. He said, I'm going to cut the covenant with my son. Because we have to be mindful of his covenants. That means the marriage, the marriage covenant, because it's one of God's covenants, it's the holiness of the Lord. It's set apart, dedicated for a specific purpose. It should be a place where God can walk among you like those pieces of flesh and make you one flesh. But you know, the human heart wants what it wants. It longs for what it longs for. And ultimately, if you're not mindful of God's covenant, you allow your flesh to pull you away from God's standard for your marriage. You allow it to pull, it, pull you away from His purpose. You get real selfish, but His standard for the marriage covenant is service. The marriage covenant is a sign of faith and hope in what's to come. It's not a selfish love, because like I said, marriage is not about you. It's the purpose of God that makes the marriage covenant. And his purpose is always about restoration. <laughs> it's amazing. Again, like I said, this is why this is why the man is to love is Christ to love the church. And gave himself for it. It's a sign of our relationship with him. It points us to his re- restoration. Yes, loving your wife as Christ loved the church is a lifetime of work. Wives submitting to a husband that loves you as Christ loves the, loves the church and loving them as well, it's a lifetime of work. But if both are doing their parts, Minister said there'll be harmony in all areas. And guess what? There'll be harmony in your physical aspect as well. And we're going to touch on this physical aspect, but I want you to understand covenant. You have to be covenant-minded to understand where we're going to go with these physical aspects. One of the reasons believers have problems in this area, the physical aspect, is because we view sex the same way as we view heaven. Selfishly. You know? Today's culture, sex is all about me. What can I get? What can happen? Uh, today's culture believes when I, die, when I die and go to heaven, it's going to be a paradise for me. I'm going to live. It's going to be about me. It's going to be beaches and drinks and this. They think that's what heaven and forgetting It's all about worshiping God. That, that's called conformity. Conformity pulls you off of God's purpose as well. Selfishness. It's about meeting our Savior face to face. So thank goodness that's not what heaven or sex are about. That's not what it's meant to be. Sex is part of a one flesh relationship. That one flesh would be a, a buzzword for you. A, a one flesh relationship that brings man and woman together in every way you can think of. This is why it can only function correctly in the marriage covenant. It includes full acceptance, commitment to all a person is, not simply their body part. You're one flesh at all times, in all ways, in all things, and that cannot be undone because it's God's covenant. See, that's the mind you have to have. It's God's covenant. And you have to remember, being married and, and, being, and, and having sex, they don't exist for their own purpose. They aren't the end-all, be-all. It's a sign to the believers. And this is why I told you about those buzzwords. Turn to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians 5. I told you about that one, one flesh should be a, a buzzword. Ephesians 5, verse 31. Because you think of a sign, right? You think of a sign, you say you're supposed to love as Christ loved the church, and then you begin to think of a metaphor, right? That's what it is. 
And what's a metaphor? A metaphor is a sign that points us to the real thing. It's something tangible that we can look to in order to understand something else. Right? So let's read Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. And it says, this, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. There's the metaphor right there. It's a, it's a sign. The real thing is the one flesh relationship Jesus Christ decides to have with each of us. It's the relationship he has with believers. Ones that have accepted him. That's the real thing. It's one of intimate love and acceptance. Support and trust. Comfort. Where Jesus is the groom and we're the bride. Earthly marriage, earthly marriage and sex that's involved in that covenant points us to him. Toward the real thing. Uh, just a side note. This is why there's no sex in heaven. You don't need a sign when you've arrived to the destination. Uh, that's like, look. That's like your family taking a trip to Disneyland. Y'all stopping at the, at the sign with the, you know, the green rope with the arrow. Taking a selfie there and saying, hey, we made it. And then going home. No, you didn't make the destination. You at the road sign. That's what marriage is pointing you to something else. And sex in that covenant, everything in God's covenant, it's, my, it's not wasted. It's pointing you to something else. So before we move forward here and I tell you my objective, I want to explain to you again how God explained his covenants to me. And we've been saying it, but I want to give you some words to it. It says, and God said to me, to enter God's covenant of marriage, the male has to say this. I give you all that I have, all that I am. I promise to be yours forever. I will never leave you, never forsake you. I will love and serve you all the days of my life. I vow to put you first before all others, save God. Now, in the mind of that male, they shouldn't be thinking, well, if I'm going into this covenant with this female, they better bring the same promise. They better do this, this, and that, too. You shouldn't be thinking that. Uh, if you did what God and Abraham did before, your faith is already built up before you get to this, this point. There's no need to question it at this point. If you have built up the faith, then now we can go. If you've been covenant-minded and you understand the covenants of God and you know Jesus, now we can get to this point. The only thing that the male should expect from the female is faith and trust that he will fulfill his promise. That's what I'm expecting from you. Uh, what did God expect from us in his covenants? Faith. And trust that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. But then what did the female bring? The exact same thing. Because she's built the faith before too. So she's going to promise her all and, and expect nothing from the male but faith and trust in what she's bringing. That's covenant. Because when you come in that way, now we're thinking about service to one another. If you don't come in that way, now you're thinking about, I need to protect me. I'm my protector. Not God because this is, this is not God's covenant. Now I'm thinking about me. Maybe we need a prenup. See, all those types of stuff come in when you don't think about service first. Mindful of God's covenant. Two are bringing an equal promise and each, each one of them are promising, I'm going to do my part to maintain this covenant. And I just want you to trust and believe that I'm going to do that. That's all I want from you. 
And that means if, if you're going to do your part to maintain the covenant, you have to do your part of the physical aspect to maintain the covenant as well. We went to financial, now we're on the physical. So that is my objective for today, to learn how to maintain the physical aspect of God's covenant of marriage. And, and, and again, I want you to keep that in mind. When you hear covenant, when you hear marriage, keep in mind it's God's covenant. Marriage is one of God's covenants. So we have to think how God thinks about marriage. So let's go ahead and now we're going to go to our scripture in 1 Corinthians 7. This is where I've been wanting to get to. 1 Corinthians 7, and it's Paul's teachings on marriage, um, and it's excellent. <laughs> of course, everything in the Bible is excellent, but we've heard these, these teachings time and time again, and every time I come to it, God is like, listen up. Let me tell you, because it truly is a mystery between Christ and the church. And he's like, listen up, let me give you a little bit more of it. Because we won't, we won't know the full thing until we see him face to face. But he, he shares himself with us. And that's why when you're married, you get to see another aspect of Christ in the church, from a, as one flesh. So let's start here. And I'm going to start from verse 1. And it says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, now I have to stop here. Because really, that verse right there deals with a whole lot. A lot of people say, Yeah, it's just saying that we shouldn't sleep outside of marriage. No. N let me tell you what it's saying. First off, it's trying to tell you, uh, the physical touch or physical union between two people, it will alter you for a lifetime. It will change you for a lifetime. Because like we said before, it's a union of all that you are. It's a union of your personalities. It's a union of, of the, everything that you like. Everything, it's a union of all that. Everything that you hate, it's a union of that. Again, in, in marriage, it, can, it contains a commitment. But it, and I, that's why it's not good, like I said earlier. It, does, it doesn't contain a, co a commitment outside of marriage. So it's not good. Be mindful of the covenant you made. In marriage, the expectation is, you're going to always be with me. That, that's God's covenant. That, listen, that's what Abraham believed, and that's what was counted to him for righteousness. You're going to always be with me. Uh, that's why it's, in marriage, it's good to touch. But not, not if you're not married, not in the covenant. So, uh, if you're not married, that's not an expectation for you. If you have, I, I, just a side note as well, sorry, premarital. But if you're not married and you've been touching and doing like that, and you're like, but why won't they commit? That's not for you, that's why. They're not going to commit. What do you mean? It's plain and simple. This is God's institution. Now, verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every... Let every Excuse me. Let every woman have her own husband. Now, now, from a physical aspect, that scripture deals with a lot too. I mean, a whole lot. It, it, it deals with a lot of the basics in covenant that people just can't seem to get right. From this we see marriage is between a single male and a single female. For one, have your own husband, your own wife. Uh, from this, because it says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, we see that marriage is God's covenant, uh, marriage is, uh, is God's intended safeguard against fornication, against adultery, against all types of sexual immorality. Marriage is God's, that's his intended safeguard against it. Uh, swingers, bisexuality, you know, people who bring all that into their marriage, but God's covenant of marriage, not conforming to the world, God's covenant of marriage will, will protect you from all of those things and all the heartache that it brings with it. He takes it seriously. 
That's why you have your own wife, your own husband. They belong to you. I, I like how Minister Martin said when he was talking about coming. They're your preference. You prefer them above all others. Let's go to verse 3. It says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Actually, I'm going to read four, 3, 4, and 5. Also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not the power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except to be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. Now, these three scriptures right here is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Right here. See, if you, if you look at verse 3, it says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Now, the focus here, the emphasis in marriage is to, perform, to be performing one's duty to one's partner rather than demanding one's rights. See, a lot of people think, it's my right that I get this from you. And, and, and it's funny because in a conformed world, in a sinful world, people tend to, to, to focus on their rights. You know, that's, look at our world today. That's what happens in a, in a sinful world. But let's see what it says. It says, you're due benevolence. Now, do there means it's your covenantal duty to perform this. And then benevolence, like Mr. Hastings says, it's goodwill and kindness. Goodwill and kindness. They are due, in your covenantal relationship, they are due your goodwill and kindness. And yes, they do this physically as well. Goodwill and kindness to do them, you have to do goodwill and kindness to them physically as well. Oh, we're talking about sex too. But, and, and again, like I said, you, you, in today's world, we start to focus on the rights, right? So the husband will say, because it does say in the scripture, so, but, but isn't the husband the head of the wife? Don't his rights come first? Isn't he the one that should be, be considered first? Being the head has nothing to do with getting all the rights and benefits. That's about position. That's about responsibility. That's about your capacity. That is not about the rights and benefits of marriage. What do we tell you? Marriage is about service. Quit worrying about you. Marriage is about service. It says, husband, render unto the wife her due benevolence. Uh, so there's no above the other, and likewise the wife will do the same. There's no one above the other. So we're going to see over here in the next few verses, let's start verse 4 and 5, we're going to see what they mean by this due benevolence. And again, verse 4 it says, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, that power over his or her body, we're going to look and see what that means. And, and what that means is, there's no exclusivity as it pertains to your marriage and sex. That means, there's no holding out. Uh-oh. Uh, there, there's no holding out. No matter, listen, even if you feel like something's not right. When, when I say something's not right, I have an attitude today. I'm upset. You did this, you did that to me two weeks ago. You did this, you did that. Uh, you need to go to the doghouse. No, 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 no. It says, your wife, your body is not your own. It belongs to the husband. Your body is not your own. It belongs to the wife. You can't hold out because you've given it to him. Remember, you've given him all. Your body too. You've given it. Uh, this is due benevolence. You can't just do what you want to do physically in marriage. You have to render due benevolence. 
Christians. Nevertheless, again, you hear about this in marriages today. First off, you hear about some people who think, I'm too spiritual for sex in my marriage. Now, I want to be celibate for a while. Well, what did the scripture say, though? Are we going to get down there about when you're taking your breaks and doing this? But what is the scripture? Have you gone to God's word? Or like I said, you, you, you send them to the doghouse. Or, or some people, this is going to touch some people, some people only get into marriage and have sex so they can have that desired child they want, and then they pour their life into that child and they'll spend no more time with their husband or their wife. Is that what sex is for? Manipulating with sex to get your way. That's not, that's not letting the, the, the husband have power over your body and you having the power over his. Uh, the scripture said it in verse 5, defraud you not one another. You cannot defraud your spouse this way. What does defraud mean? That means deprive or cheat by deception. See, because it's theirs. So if, you t- if you're taking it away from them, you're cheating them. You're depriving them. Can't, can't cheat your, your spouse. And again, it says here in verse 5 that conditions must be, be met to stop sex for a time. So let me read it again. It says, Defraud you not one the other, except to be with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now, from what I see there, it says, it has to be consent for a time, right? So who can give consent? The husband and wife are one. So they both have to come together and give consent to the abstention of, uh, from sex for a time. Then they must be agreed beforehand on a time period that it's going to end so that they can resume their normal due benevolence. Okay? Okay, so you have to agree on a time, and then this refraining has to be helped them. It's there to help them to concentrate and be more focused in prayer and fasting and spending time with God. It's not about your earthly or, or what you want to do. No, 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 no. We have to come together. We have to agree. Here's the set time. It'll be over here. And then once it's over, guess what? Do benevolence re- resumes. As far as the physical aspect. Uh, but those three conditions have to be met. I didn't say two of them. The Bible didn't say, uh, if one of you says that you want to do it, and then you say you'll be back at this time, then you can do it. No, no, no. You have to come through and give consent. And then we have to set a time that this is going to happen. Make a date that this is, this is when it's going to happen. This is when we're going to be off of it. And then during that time, you better be spending time with the Lord. It's not your, the, the husband has power over his wife's body. The wife has power over him. You better be spending time with the Lord because the only power that I'm bending to is him. So if, if any one of these conditions aren't met, you have no right to keep what do benevolence is do your spouse. Well, I, I just don't feel like it. I'm just not in the mood. I get it. Sometimes we're not on the same page. Uh, and when we're not, let, let me tell you something. There's one simple thing that can fix these issues, right? One simple thing, you know, you're in the doghouse. I don't feel like having sex. I'm not in the mood. One simple thing that not just believers in covenant, but, but even, even uh, uh, people in the world in, 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 uh, in marriage don't do. One simple thing. It's called communication. <laughs> Very, it's not a big spiritual word that I was... Communication. 
See, there's a temptation associated with the lack of healthy communication and sexual intercourse. A temptation. And if you want to render the due benevolence, you must communicate. There has to be communication. Intimacy through communication will keep you from falling into sin and acting out against God's covenant of marriage or defrauding your spouse. And remember, when you do things like defraud your spouse, this is God's covenant, so you're defrauding God. Think about it. If our marriage is to resemble Christ in the church, then we we should mimic our relationship with Christ in our marriage, right? So what do you do when you lack wisdom about the ways of Jesus? You ask in faith. And he will answer you because he's about his covenant. You ask him, what, what pleases you, O oh God? Why do you ask these things? So that you can become closer to Jesus. So that you can find out more and more about him and what pleases the Lord. Our marriage is to, to mimic Christ in the church. Why would you ask your spouse these things? To become more and more intimate with them. So that you know what pleases them. You know what's good to them, what's right for them. Uh, you know their, their likes. You know their dislikes. That's how you purpose not to sin or, or defraud your spouse. Communication. This is how you maintain, this is part of how you maintain the physical aspect of your covenant. As, as, as Minister, Minister Hastings mentioned during his teaching, you have to dwell with them. I love that. I love that. It was just like the song we heard this morning, and that was on purpose. You have to dwell with them. One thing I desire of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Uh, and, and I like how he said it. I like how Minister Hayes said, dwell with what? With knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> See, I, to dwell, let, let's, let's cover that again. That means to take up residence with. And in my studying, it went further. It says, to delight in communion with. That's, that's to dwell. See, commune, that comes from the word communicate. <laughs> and in this instance, it means to share one's intimate, intimate thoughts and feelings on an emotional, physical, and a spiritual level. So we dwell with knowledge and wisdom. You, you must say to your spouse, I delight to commune, you, to commune with you in knowledge and wisdom. Day in and day out. That's dwelling. I delight in that. I delight to commune with you. Physically, listen, even though it's physically, that's knowledge and wisdom in that. Because there's a mystery, remember? It shows us Christ in the church. So I do want to talk about Psalm 27 since we went there. One thing that I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, see, you want to dwell in the house. This is, God said, this is, you know, they're talking about the Lord Jesus here, but there's a mystery. See, one thing I desire as a husband and that I will I seek after is to dwell and commune with my wife. To behold her beauty. To know more, to inquire in her temple. To ask her, what is it that you like? What is it I can do to please you in your house? In our house? In our paradise? Because I'm here to make it paradise for you. 
This dwelling keeps you safe from sin. Listen, how can you say that you commune with the Father if you don't commune with the one that he made you one flesh with? You're one. So if one's off, the entire unit's off. There's no, hey, there's no, he's your shield and your exceedingly great reward, but you're one. How can he shield you in your marriage if one's off? Keep in mind one thing I desire is not to serve myself. It's to dwell with you forever. To inquire about you. To behold and gaze at the magnificence of your beauty. Because, listen, you're the one I prefer. So how do you effectively communicate with your spouse about the physical aspect of your marriage? And we're running out of a little time, but I have a little time to, to get to a certain point. So first thing you need to do to effectively communicate is you have to have proper planning in your communication. Planning, let me tell you, we've been talking about preparation and planning for the longest. It goes across the board to all areas. Financial planning, physical sexual planning, all those things will keep you mindful of God's covenant and keep you right on His purpose. That means, that means I must prepare properly and have the proper attitude. Plan the event with your spouse. I don't mean tell, tell your spouse, we having sex tonight. No, no, no. I'm not talking about it like that. I mean, let her know, let, let you, and I say her because my wife, let her know this is our, it's, it's our night tonight. Don't make any plans. I've got that covered. The plans are for you and me. The, the, the proper attitude means you don't treat this just like any other regular event. Though ex- sex should be experienced regularly in the marriage covenant, you shouldn't treat it if it's not, if, as if it's not special. Because remember, there's a mystery in it. It ministers to your spouse. Will you let them know that, listen, there's nobody else that I'd rather be. Listen, there are no words. There's nothing left. My love, my, listen, my physical love will sing to you right now. That's one thing I desire to dwell and commune with you. It's God's covenant. There, there should be a genuine build-up, a genuine expectation and excitement over this event that's coming. when I sent her, it was a little, it was an anxious, uh, uh, and this working from home, it was a little anxious monkey waiting for the, uh, the clock to get the fire so I could go home and see her. Send her these things, though. This, I'm talking about building up anticipation. And whatever your wife likes, because I know my wife likes those things, you know why? Because I purpose to dwell with her. Whatever your, your spouse likes, do these things. It's not too hard to do. Messages of kindness and due benevolence. You wonder why she's like, I'm not in the mood tonight. Well, have you been doing due benevolence, not just in the physical, but just just on a day-to-day basis? That'll help you in your physical. Remind your wife of how beautiful she is to you. Remind her that she's the only one for you. I'm going to tell you about my wife because she's she's so on point too, and and I am too, but 
So we recently just got myself a new jacket. But to think about my jacket and my clothes, I don't pick them out no more. You know why? Because it's not about what I want. What I like, I always ask, I'll bring up some, I say, you choose what you like. Because <laughs> I want you to look at me. I'm dwelling with you. I, listen, this is an outfit made by Sister Hill. Real talk. Because my desire is to dwell with her forever. To inquire in her temple. Tell him you can't wait to see him. I miss you. You just saw me this morning, I know, and that was too long ago. And then, this is going to... God is on some of y'all's side this morning because he wants to cut it right here. But I'm just going to say it and then we're going to stop. There's, there's also an aspect of the physical relationship that we can't ignore. Especially during this physical part. And we have to understand that the physical part of your covenant goes hand in hand with good health. Whew. Ooh, married folks. Let me tell you, because I done been up, I done... <laughs> I done seen it up and down. I done gained. I done lost. I done, and it's hard, right? You think it's hard. But before you got married, let me tell you, you was doing everything and all you could to stay looking your best. But health has a, it, it plays a very vital point in your sexual relationship. I hope you can receive this. Good health is vital to a good sex life. Married people, let's be real. So that means if you've noticed you've gained some weight, you work on it. See, that's why you have to be mindful of God's covenant because I'm here to serve her. And if I'm too overweight or too, if I can't even serve her physically, her due benevolence, then am I, do, am I maintaining my part of, of God's covenant? I know. I knew it was going to get quiet. Y'all probably looking at each other like, we can't ignore. This, this is planning and preparation. You can't ignore the physical aspect. This shows them that you're going to give them an effort to serve them. I'm not saying be the most fit person working out two or three times a day like you was in high. Uh-uh. But put forth an effort. Show them that they're worth it. Yeah, well, they should love me for me. And they should. I agree. But again, that wasn't your attitude when you was out there fishing. That's not what you were saying then. That's not what you were thinking. Dress to impress. Cologne every day. Getting your nails did. Getting your hair done. All that stuff. Listen, hitting the gym when you could. That wasn't your attitude then. I'm going to tell you how me and my wife did it. Because I'm going to tell you, I've, I've been on the heavy side. And now I work out a lot with my wife. Y'all hear that? With my wife. Because that's what it's about. I work out with my wife. So I knew it was a health issue for me. And I knew that I wasn't serving my wife like I should. God convicted me. So I got in the gym. And then when my wife saw it, guess what? She joined me. She said, I want to do this with you. I want to support this with you. I want to be in this with you. Uh, I want to dwell with you. I want to inquire in your temple. And it's so amazing because that's, that's how marriage is set up. 
right? Because the, the direction of home is in the hands of the male. When I did it, she followed. It's, uh, listen, males, you got, you got work to do. <laughs> Encourage Get her up and get, and get in there with you. Encourage her. And I'm not saying be Mr. Drill Sergeant. You can do more. No, 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 no. Just be in there with her. Encourage her. I'm telling you, she'll appreciate it. She'll know that you are designed to dwell with her, to commune with her. Uh, That's part of the due benevolence that you do outside the physical sex. You do that with her, and she's like, oh, he he wants, not only that, he wants me around in life. Because you know you have to have good health to live. He wants me around, he wants me to be there with him. These are all the messages that are, that, that are, are put in your, in your spouse's mind when you stay mindful of God's covenant. Make yourself desirable. Put forth an effort to the one that you said you prefer. Before they put forth an effort with someone else. Because uh, uh, the reason these teachings happen in Corinthians is because all that was happening in the Corinthian church. Husbands and wives were defrauding each other. People were getting outside of God's standard, outside of God's purpose. So that's why he went here. On your special nights when you've made plans, make sure that you do things to excite the senses. That means, listen... That means you have to communicate and find out what she likes to see, what she likes to hear, what she likes to smell, what she likes to feel, what excites her senses. You have to dwell to know these things. And then put them on. Take your time. Men, I promise you're not going to be chopped at the buzzer. Take your time. Dwell. Delight in communing with them. That means plan a benevolent evening. What does she do to you? Listen, don't just come home from work, not even getting in the shower, order you a pizza, lay in the bed and lay over and rub a thigh like, are you ready to do something? Are you trying to maintain your covenant? You smell like today's work. Can you wash off today's sink? See, because, like I said, when you was out there fishing, you were washing off every time I saw you. But now you can't maintain God's covenant of marriage? Now that you've got what you want, is it about you? You were perpetrating from the beginning. You were acting like you are going to give me what I wanted. Do the things that she likes. And I keep saying she because I have a wife. Do the things that she likes. Build up anticipation. And then when you get to your bedroom, take it slow. And that's where I'm going to stop. And we're going to pick up from there. That's a perfect spot. That's why I'm going to stop. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water in Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.